Theater proudly presents Dracula. Ladies and gentlemen, my name is Mina Harker. I have been entrusted to bear witness to the truth of certain events which you may find hard to believe, but I must ask you to believe them. I have here certain documents, telegrams, clippings from the press of the day, memoranda, and letters in various hands. All needless matters have been eliminated. The history presented here may seem to contradict possibilities of contemporary belief, but stands forth as simple fact. These events did in fact happen, as they are presented, some of them in my own presence. I present you first with excerpts from the private journal of my husband, Jonathan Harker. I, Jonathan Harker, lawyer's clerk to Peter Hawkins, Esquire of Exeter, England, am writing this journal in the hope that if misfortune overtakes me, it may one day come to the eyes of those who love me. I set out from London on the last day of April to visit one of our clients in Eastern Europe. The crossing was fair and made good time as I made my way into the rougher country of Transylvania. On May the 3rd, at Bistritz, in the northern part of the country, there was a letter of welcome for me from our client, informing me that his carriage would await me at the Borgo Pass, and that I should board the carriage to Bukovina that afternoon with all due haste. It was signed, Dracula. If this book should ever reach Mina before I do, let it bring my goodbye. Here comes the coach! was rough, but still we seemed to fly over it with feverish haste. When it grew dark, there seemed to be some excitement among the passengers. They kept speaking to the driver and looking at me and urging him on with a greater speed. Driver, will we make it to Bukovina before dark? Doubtful, but all haste is being made. Can we please avoid the Borgo Pass? Unfortunately, that is where the young hare needs to go. All the other passengers looked at me but didn't say a word. The crazy coach rocked from its great leather springs. The mountains seemed to come nearer to us on either side. As we grew closer to the Borgo Pass and the storm around us grew more violent, my fellow passengers grew quieter and quieter. Coachman! Coachman! What is it? Where are we? You are nearing your destination, young hare. This is the Borgo Pass. There were black, rolling clouds overhead, and in the air, the heavy, oppressive sense of thunder. Finally, after one long, echoing run of thunder, we were through the pass and to the place where I was to meet Count Dracula's driver. But there was no coach as far as the eye could see. As the driver brought the coach to a stop, the other passengers looked around nervously. There is no carriage here. The hare is not expected after all. He will now come on to Bukovina and return tomorrow or the next day. 
That is the next day when the moon is not full. You are early tonight, my friend. Uh, the English hare was in a hurry, as were the rest of my passengers. That is why I suppose you wished him to go on to Bukovina. You cannot deceive me, my friend. I know too much. My horses are swift. Well, the dead travel fast. The coachman smiled, and the lamplight fell on a hard-looking mouth with very red lips and sharp-looking teeth as white as ivory. Give to me the hare's luggage. We must be off. Without a word, the driver gave my bags with great alacrity to the coachman. Then I descended from the side of the coach with the driver helping me with a hand which caught my arm in a grip of steel. His strength must have been prodigious. He shook his reins. The horses turned. We began to move. I looked back. The coach and its load of passengers had vanished from sight. We swept into the darkness of the pass. I struck a match. It was within a few minutes of midnight. Then a wolf began to howl somewhere far down the road. The wind was rising, moaning and whistling through the rocks, and the branches of the trees crashed together as we swept along. It grew colder and colder still and fine powdery snow began to fall. The baying of wolves sounded nearer and nearer as though, as though they were closing round on us from every side. We kept on ascending, always ascending. The howling of wolves growing less. Presently, it ceased altogether. And just then the moon broke through the black clouds and by its light, I. I saw around us a ring of wolves running alongside the carriage in silence with white teeth and lolling red tongues, with long sinewy limbs and shaggy hair. As I looked upon the beasts, I felt the blood rush from my head and remembered no more. my home. Enter freely and of your own will. I must have fallen asleep. The carriage had pulled up in the courtyard of a vast ruined castle. The coachman was nowhere to be seen. Welcome to my house. Come freely. Go safely and leave something of the happiness you bring? Count Dracula. I am Dracula. The face was strong, very strong, aquiline. The mouth was fixed and rather cruel looking with peculiarly sharp white teeth. 
You hear them, Mr. Harker? The wolves? <laughs> As you say, listen to them. The children of the night. What music they make. <laughs> they are quite terrifyingly beautiful. <laughs> Sir, you... Uh, Dwellers in the city cannot enter into the feelings of the hunter. But come now. There are many things you must tell me tomorrow. Of England and of the estate there you have purchased for me. Ah, uh, yes. The estate is called Carfax, I believe. Yes. Well, it's in a suburb, Perfleet. It contains in all some 20 acres heavily treed, surrounded by solid stone wall. There are very few other houses close at hand, one being a large mansion now used as a private hospital. And the house, Carfax? Much as you requested. Very large, of medieval times, including an ancient stone keep attached to a deconsecrated old chapel. Good. I am of an old family to live in a new house would kill me. I understand, but really, sir, Carfax is little better than a disused dungeon. I belong to the past. A past of brave men who fought as a lion fights for lordship. The Huns whose fury swept the earth till the dying peoples thought the werewolves themselves had come. These peoples believed that in the Huns' veins ran the blood of those old witches who, expelled from Scythia, mated with these devils in the desert. Eh, fools. What devil or what witch was ever so great as Attila, whose blood is in these veins. But you will forgive me. I have kept you until morning, and you are tired. I will detain you no longer. You will find your room in readiness. If you need anything at all, do not hesitate to find me. But I advise you, do not leave your room during the night for any reason. This castle is on the very edge of a terrible precipice. A stone falling from the window would fall a thousand feet without touching anything. At first light, I explore the next day. There are doors, doors, doors everywhere, and all of them locked. The door to the great hall, the door to the courtyard. Every door in the castle is closed, bolted against me. Castle Dracula is a prison, and I am a prisoner.
The next night, I could not sleep. So, after a few hours of restlessness, I got up. Lighting my candle, I placed my shaving mirror on the dressing table and was just beginning to shave. You seem restless, Mr. Harker. I had not seen him, although the reflection of the glass covered the whole room behind me. I turned to the glass again. Count Dracula was close to me, and I could see him over my shoulder, but there was no reflection of him in the mirror. It was blank. I started and cut myself on the side of the throat. The blood was trickling down my neck. The mirror! The mirror is the wretched thing that has done this mischief. Foul vanity! Away with it! Count my mirror! The blood. The blood! Wipe the blood from your face, Mr. Harker. And take care how you cut yourself. It is more dangerous in this country than you think to bleed. <laughs> the next night, for the first time, the Count has not appeared. The yellow moonlight almost dims the lamp by which I write. How strange. A London solicitor by this window which overlooks a thousand-foot cliff in this room of ancient beauty, alone. Come to us, dear Jonathan. Alone? Yes, for there are no servants here. Everything is done by the Count himself, but that voice. I follow the sound of laughter through the castle. I find myself in a room lavishly decorated with silks and pillows. This must once have been the room of a great and beautiful lady. I almost imagine I hear... Darling. Who's there? Our most desirable guest. Where are you? Here. Shall I come more closely? Do you see me? Yes. I want you to see me. It is lonely here. I cannot imagine you could be lonely. But I am. And you are so young, strong, handsome. Forgive me, I, I seem unable to, to get up. Perhaps you were sleeping, dreaming. Yes. Yes, I must be. Yes. Dreaming of love, perhaps. A dream. A vision from some forgotten age. One dreams of love and longs for love? Yes. Uh, no, I, I have a love. And what is she called? She... She... Mina. Mina! Mina. Shall I come nearer? I... Uh, no. Yes. Has she hair like this? Your love? Yellow, like the moonlight. Would you like to touch? Yes. Then I lean over you, like so. Touch it, if you'd like. I... I can't. Has she eyes like these, your love? So dark, almost rubies. Has she lips like these? Rich, rich, red. And her smile, my love. The whitest teeth, the sharpest. Would you like me to kiss you? I... yes. Yes. Then I will. I will. Let me show you love you've never dreamed. 
first, my lips, to your throats. How dare you? How dare you touch him? When I had forbidden it, this man belongs to me. Beware how you meddle with me, or I will have you dealt with. You never loved like this man can. You never can love. Yes. I too can love. You yourself can tell it from the past. Is it not so? Well, now I promise you, when I am done with him, you shall kiss him at your will. Now go. Go! I must awaken him, for there is work to be done. I brought this back from the village. Take it. Pretty baby, not to worry. I shall take care of you, my sweet child. Soon you shall have nothing to cry about. As I looked, the woman disappeared. With her, the dreadful bag. There was no door near her, and she could not have passed me without my noticing. She simply seemed to fade into the rays of the moonlight and pass out through the window, for I could see outside the dim, shadowy forms for a moment before they entirely faded away. Then the horror overcame me, and I sank down unconscious. When I awoke, I found most of my things were gone. My passport, my notes, my letter of credit. I could find no trace of them anywhere, and my door was locked from the outside. June 11th. There is some kind of work going on in the castle. Now and then I hear the faraway muffled sound of mattock and spade. Last night, the Count came to me with a strange request. Your work here is nearly done. I shall depart soon for your blessed England. But before then, I need you to write me three letters. One saying that you shall be leaving soon. And uh, I will send that tomorrow. Another, that you are starting on the next morning from that letter. And the third, that you have left the castle and arrived at the streets. Why do I need to write such letters? Would it not be better for me to write the later two when I am on the road? This is just for the event that you cannot send the letters. It would be very hard to get a post sent in this country at times. It would put my mind at ease to know no one in England was worried after you. Very well, Count. What dates should I put on the later two? 
the second, uh, June 19, one week from tomorrow, and the third, June 29, I shall leave you to write them. I will have a servant take them tomorrow with some of my home letters. Good night, Mr. Harker. Remember that there are things in the night here that wish to do you harm. There is safety in your room. Take comfort in that. I know now the span of my life, God help me. But as I sat alone in the room that had become my prison cell, I built up my courage. I would have rebelled against this strange request, but felt that in the present state of things, it would be madness to quarrel openly with the Count whilst I am so absolutely in his power and to refuse would be to excite his suspicion and to arouse his anger. He knows that I know too much and that I must not live lest I be dangerous to him. My only chance is to prolong my opportunities. Something may occur which will give me a chance to escape. I therefore pretended to fall in with his views. The Count came the next night to get the letters from me. Count Dracula. Yes, my young friend. Why may not I go tonight? Am I not free to leave when I wish? Free? Mr. Harker, you are always free. You want to leave? Yes, yes, in God's name. My dear young friend, not an hour shall you wait in my house against your will. Come, follow me. Uh, what of your baggage, young I, Harker? I do not care about it. I can send for it some other time. As you will, Mr. Harker. Not an hour shall you wait in my house against your will. Oh. Sad am I at your going and that you so suddenly desire it. You English have a proverb which is very close to my heart. Welcome the coming, speed the departing guest. Good night, Mr. Harker. Shut the door. Shut the door. Shut the door, I tell you. Shut the door. The door is shut, Mr. Harker. I take it you will remain. Morning, June the 30th. These may be the last words I ever write in this diary. Oh God, preserve my sanity. I have never seen Count Dracula by day. At sunrise, at the first cockcrow, he is gone. 
I... I don't understand these things. I only know that the wolves aren't baying and that he is a man with hair on the palms of his hands. A man with no blood in his face, with sharp teeth. He casts no shadow. He cannot be seen in a glass. And he moves like a bat across the sheer face of the castle walls. He eats no food and is mortally afraid of the crucifix. As I write this, I hear in the courtyard the rolling of heavy wheels and cracking of whips. And there is in the passageway below a sound of heavy boxes being set down, boxes shaped like coffins. And I know what they hold. The boxes are filled with holy earth from the chapel beneath the castle. It is the last box being nailed down. And now I hear the heavy feet tramping again. The door is shut and the chains rattle. In the courtyard and down the rocky way, the roll of heavy wheels, the cracks of whips. Jonathan, Jonathan, come to me, my love. Let me kiss you. <laughs> the wagons are gone, and I am alone in the castle with that horrible woman. She is a devil of the pit. I shall not remain alone with her. I shall try to scale the castle wall farther than I have yet attempted. I may find a way from this dreadful place and then a way for home, a way to the quickest and nearest train, away from the cursed spot, from this cursed land where the devil and his children still walk with earthly feet. At least God's mercy is better than that of this monster. Though the precipice is steep and high, I shall prefer to fall from its heights than fall under the spell of the creature of the night again. Goodbye, all. Mina, I shall see you again in this life or the next. terminates at this point. It was many weeks before I learned of his fate. I now present in evidence a clipping dated August of that year from the Yorkshire Telegraph. One of the greatest and sudden storms on record was experienced here today. The weather's been somewhat sultry, but Saturday evening was fine. The band was playing, the piers were crowded with holiday makers. The wind fell away entirely during the evening, and there was a dead calm. There were but few lights at sea. The only sail noticeable was a foreign schooner under full canvas that was seemingly going westward. A little after midnight came a strange sound from over the sea, and high overhead the air began to carry a strange, faint, hollow booming. Then without warning the tempest broke, and there with all sails set was the foreign schooner rushing with such speed that in the words of one old salt, she must fetch up somewhere if it was only in hell. 
A moment later, she crashed. And then a strange thing was seen. At the very instant she touched, a huge dog sprang up on deck from below, and running forward, jumped from the bow onto the sand, making straight up the east cliff toward the graveyard, and vanished into the night. The Coast Guard, going abroad at dawn, found a dead man fastened to a spoke of the wheel. Tightly clutched in one hand was a crucifix. The man must have been dead for two days. In the pocket of the dead man's coat was found a bottle, carefully corked, containing a roll of paper. This proved to be an addendum to the ship's log. There was found on board only a small amount of cargo, and that of a most unusual nature. Apparently, the ship carried nothing but earth, common earth, packed away in wooden boxes shaped much like coffins. By the kindness of the Board of Trade Inspector, I have been permitted to look over the logbook of the Demeter, which was in order up to within three days, but contained nothing of special interest except the facts of missing men. The greatest interest, however, is with regard to the paper found in the bottle, which was today produced at the inquest. And a more strange narrative than the two between them unfold, it has not been my lot to come across. Log of the Demeter, Russian flag, Black Sea to Whitby, July 6th, finished taking on cargo, a queer cargo, boxes of earth. At noon, set sail, east wind, fresh crew, four hands, mate, cook, and myself, captain. July 11th, entered Bosporus at dark. Passed through Dardanelles, mate reported in mourning that one of crew, the Odin, was missing. Took larboard watch eight bells last night. He was relieved by Talisian, who never come to his bunk. There is something aboard these sheep. <laughs> no, don't laugh, Capitan. In the rain last night. Oh. I could have sworn I see a tall, thin man go up the companionway along the deck forward and disappear. When I go to the bow, no one, and the hatchways were all closed. July 22nd, rough weather the last three days. All hands busy with sails, no time to be frightened. Past Gibraltar and out through straits. All well. July 24th, last night, Another hand was lost. Like Talisian, like he come off his watch at midnight, and we never see him again. You want double watch now? I don't take it watch alone no more. No more, double watch. Nor Ju will I. July 29th, had single watch tonight, as crew too tired to double. When morning come... Hey! Hey, below! Balaki! Balaki! Hey, Balaki, below! Balaki, come! Balaki's gone, like the others. Like all the others. The mate and I have agreed to go armed henceforth. July 30th, last night, we are nearing England. Weather fine, all sails set. Capitan, Capitan, the men on watch are missing. All of them are missing. 
Now, only self and mate, and one hand left to watch ship. August 3rd, two days of fog, and not a sail sighted. At midnight, I went to relieve the man at wheel, and when I got to it, I found no one there. It's here. I know it. I saw it like a man, tall and thin and ghastly pale. He was in the bows looking out. I gave it the knife, but the knife went right through it, empty as the air. What? What is it? What are you talking about? It's here, and I'll find it. It's in the hold, in one of those boxes of earth. I'll unscrew them one by one and see, and see. He is mad, stark raving mad. It is no use my trying to stop him. We can't hurt those big boxes. They are labeled as common earth. Ah! He's, he's there, down, down in the hold. I know the secret now. The sea will save me from him. That's all that's left, that's all that's left. Before I could say a word or move forward to seize him, he sprang on the bulwark and deliberately threw himself into the sea. I suppose I know the secret too now. It was this madman who had got rid of all the men one by one, and now he too has followed them himself. God help me. Now, I, how am I to account for all these horrors when I get to port? If I get to port, will that ever be? August 24th, I am all alone on ship, and still the fog, I dare not go below. I dare not leave the helm, so here all night I stayed, and it is in the dimness of the night I saw it. I saw him, God forgive me. But the mate was right to jump overboard, it was better to die like a sailor in the blue water. But I am captain, and I must not leave my ship. I shall tie my hands to the wheel when my strength begins to fail. And along with them, I shall tie that which it dare not touch, my crucifix. I am growing weaker, and the night is coming on. God and the Blessed Virgin help a poor, ignorant soul trying to do his duty. You have done well, Captain. I must thank you for conveying me so swiftly to my destination and for your fine cuisine on the voyage. I just need one more thing from you. Ladies and gentlemen, I shall now explain that six weeks before the events recorded here, I, while waiting the return of my beloved Jonathan, stayed with my dear friend Lucy Westenraw. She had just become engaged to Arthur Seward, a doctor at a nearby hospital. They were to be married in the spring. 
soon after I started staying with her, she seemed to get ill. She started having bouts of sleepwalking and was getting increasingly pale. Both Dr. Seward and his compatriots were flummoxed by her condition. But after a few weeks, she seemed to get better. The only strangeness I ever heard from her was one time when we were out walking by the abandoned Carfax estate. There was the most pretty red sunset shining over the ruins of the unconsecrated church. She stopped suddenly. His red eyes, they are just the same. What was that, Lucy, dear? Oh, nothing. Nothing at all, dearest Mina. Just the sunset reminded me of a dream. A most wonderful dream. A dream of what, my dear Lucy? Uh, it was from the time of my sleepwalking, though it doesn't seem that much of a dream. What do you mean? It wasn't quite a dream. It all seemed to be real. I only wanted to be here, in this spot. I don't know why, for I was afraid of something. I don't know what. I remember, though, I suppose I was asleep, passing through the streets and over the bridge. A fish leaped as I went by, and I leaned over to look at it, and I heard a lot of dogs howling. The whole town seemed as if it must be full of dogs, all howling at once as I went up the steps. Then I had a vague memory of something long and dark with red eyes, just as we saw in the sunset, and something very sweet and very bitter all around me at once. And then I seemed sinking into deep green water, and there was singing in my ears, and everything seemed to be passing away from me. My soul seemed to go from my body and float about the air. I remember that the West Lighthouse was right under me, and there was a sort of agonizing feeling. The next thing I remember is you waking me up in the parlor that night. I remember that night. You were damp with evening dew, and there were two wounds on your neck. <sighs> yes. Arthur treated me for it, bandaged my neck. He takes such good care of me. You are a lucky woman to have him. And you, with your Jonathan? Have you heard anything from him? No. It has been weeks since I received the letter that he was leaving Bistritz. He should be back in England by now or at least sent word on what has waylaid him. M Mr. Hawkins, for whom Jonathan works, has heard nothing from him either. This is so unlike him. Don't worry too much, my dear Mina. I'm sure he's just waylaid in some fashion, not in the arms of another woman. <laughs> August 19th. Joy, 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 although not all joy. At last, news of Jonathan. The poor fellow had been ill. That is why he did not write. I am not afraid to say it or to think it now that I know. Mr. Hawkins forwarded the letter to me and then wrote himself, oh, so kindly. I am to leave in the morning and go over to Jonathan and to help to nurse him if necessary and to bring him home. I regret leaving Lucy as she has been unwell but I cannot leave my husband to be alone and unwell in a foreign country. Lucy, forgive me. I shall see you when I return with Jonathan, and we shall be new brides together.
24 August. I must imitate Mina and keep writing things down. Another bad night. I tried to keep awake and succeeded for a while, but when the clock struck 12, it waked me from a doze. So I must have been falling asleep. There was a sort of scratching or flapping at the window, but I did not mind it as I remember no more. I suppose I must have fallen asleep. More bad dreams. I wish I could remember them. This morning I am horribly weak. My face is ghastly pale and my throat pains me. It must be something with my lungs, for I don't seem to be getting air enough. I shall try to cheer up when Arthur comes, or else I know he will be miserable to see me so. Lucy, what are you doing? Up at such a late hour, in your condition, you should be in bed at once. I'm sorry, Arthur. I couldn't sleep, so I decided to write in my diary. I really must make the worst patient. Oh, far from it. I have worse than you in this hospital as we speak, and ones I care much less for. But that means you must follow my advice and get your rest. I will, my love. Come, give me a kiss goodnight. Good night, my sweet Lucy. I shall check in the, on you in the morning. Come to me, my child, my love. There is still much to do, but I feel you're coming closer to me. Yes, my master. We are becoming one. Yes, my Dracula. Telegram, Arthur Seward, per fleet, to Professor Abraham van Helsing, Amsterdam. Lucy Westendra in alarming condition, cannot diagnose. Come at once, Seward. Telegram, Van Helsing, Amsterdam to Seward, per fleet. I am on my way to you. Please arrange for me to examine your patient immediately upon my arrival. Van Helsing. My old teacher, Professor Van Helsing, arrived at four the next afternoon. I took her at once to Lucy's room in my hospital. She lay in her bed asleep. She was ghastly, chalky, pale. The red had gone even from her lips and gums, and the bones of her face stood out. Young miss is bad, very bad. She must have blood or she will die. Yet she is not anemic. The qualitative analysis of her blood is quite normal condition. It is strange. I do not like to think how strange. Look, mein Gott, on her throat. Two small but noticeable puncture marks. The black velvet band that she always wore had dragged up a little and showed a red mark on her throat just over the external jugular vein were two punctures, not large, but not at all wholesome. 
The edges were white and worn looking. My neck has been painful for the past little while, but it's nothing to worry about. Is it, Doctor? Well, well, what is it, Professor? What's wrong with her? Speak frankly. You could tell me the worst. I wish I could, so it, young miss. I wish I could, but I do not dare. But won't you tell us anything? I will tell you this. Your young lady is in a danger greater than death. You must believe me, if you leave her for one moment and harm befalls, you will not sleep easily thereafter. September 8th, I sat up all night with Lucy. Arthur, I'm afraid. My dear, you, you could sleep tonight. I'm here watching you. Nothing can happen, and I promise at any sign of bad dreams, if I see anything, I'll wake you at once. You will? Will you really? Then I'll sleep. I sat all night by her bedside. She did not wake once during the night, although the boughs or a bat or something flapped almost angrily against the windowpane. September 11th, at this time, I received a message from Perfleet. It read, 10.20 p.m., St. John's Hospital, serious complications, case 891. Your immediate presence in London imperative. I had no choice. Sometime later, paper was found among Lucy Westenra's belongings. I write this and leave it to be seen so that no one by any chance may get into any trouble through me. I went to bed as usual, taking care that the window was closed as Dr. Van Helsing had directed. About two in the morning, I awakened. I went to the door, called out, Arthur, Arthur. There was no answer. Something's broken the window. I'm in the room alone. I dare not go out. The house seems to be empty. The air is full of specks floating, circling in the draft from the window. And the light burns blue, dim. What am I to do? Something very sweet and very bitter all around me, like I'm sinking into deep water. And they're singing in my ears. You are flesh of my flesh, blood of my blood. <sighs> September 12th, late. Only resolution and habit can let me make an entry tonight. We found her sprawled on the floor and there was a draught in the room from the broken window. The throat was bare, showing the two wounds, looking horribly white and mangled. We are too late, my friend. We have failed. God's will be done. She is dying? Yes, she is dying. Stay beside her, it will make much difference, mark me, whether she dies conscious or in her sleep. It was late in the afternoon before she opened her eyes. Arthur, oh, oh my love, I'm so glad you've come. I took her hand and knelt beside her. Her breath came and went like a tired, peaceful child's. 
And then the light from the setting sun fell on her face and then insensibly a strange change came over her. Her eyes grew suddenly dull and hard. Her breathing was heavy. The mouth opened and the pale gums drawn back made the teeth look large and sharp. Arthur, oh, my love, I'm so glad you've come. Kiss me, lean down and kiss me. Run for your life, run for your living soul and hers. <gasps> Lucy, she's dead. Into your hands, O oh merciful Savior, we commend the soul of your servant, Lucy Westenra. Acknowledge, we humbly beseech you, a sheep of your own fold, a lamb of your own flock, a sinner of your own redeeming. Receive her into the arms of your mercy, into the blessed rest of everlasting peace and into the glorious company of the saints in light. Amen. Was there anything more we could have done for Lucy, Professor? Or was this always her fate? There's always something more that could be done in hindsight, but given our circumstance, no. There was nothing else we could have done in the moment. I received a letter from Lucy's friend, Mina Harker, today. She returns next week with her new husband, Jonathan. It's a shame she missed Lucy's funeral. There may have been some comfort in having her here. Well, there may, she may not find comfort in what happens next. Come to my rooms at the Savoy later and I shall explain what you must do. The tragic tale of Lucy is not done yet. Poor girl. There's peace for her at last in the end. Not so. It is only the beginning. Wait and see. Kensington Horror, extra special. Westminster Gazette, September 25th. A Hampstead mystery. The Kensington Horror, the stabbing woman, and the woman in black are vividly recalled to mind by a series of events that have taken place recently in the neighborhood of Hampstead. Several cases have occurred of young children straying from home or failing to return from playing on the heath. In all those cases, the children have given as their excuse that they have been with a beautiful lady who offered them chocolates. In each case, 
The child was found to be slightly torn or, wo or wounded in the throat. The wound seems as such as might be made by a rat or a small dog. Extra special, the Hampstead Horror. Read about the beautiful lady. Extra special. The Hampstead Horror. Another child injured by the beautiful lady. We have just received intelligence that another child missed last night was only discovered late in the morning. It has the same tiny wound in the throat. Well, Seward, what do you think of that? You mean to tell me, my friends, that you still have no suspicion as to what our poor dear Lucy died of? Nervous prostration following on great loss or waste of blood. Yeah, and what was the blood lost or wasted? You are a clever man, my friend, and a good doctor. But you do not believe that there are things you cannot understand. You are wrong, Seward. Are you aware of all the mysteries of life and death? Can you tell me why in the pampas there are bats that come out at night and open the veins of cattle and horses and suck dry those veins? Hmm? How on some islands of the western seas there are bats that hang on trees all day and then when the sailors sleep on deck because it is hot, sweep down on them and then in the morning I found dead men as white as Miss Lucy was. I understand none of these things. After tonight, Seward, if you dare to come with me, perhaps you will understand. September 29th, before dawn, now it is done, and I would sooner die a thousand deaths than to live again what I did these last few nights. We will spend the night, you and I, here in this churchyard where Miss Lucy is buried. We enter the tomb. And then? We open the coffin. You shall yet be convinced. Take care, Van Helsing. Miss Lucy is dead, is it not so? Then there can be no wrong to her. But if she is not dead, with some difficulty, we found the Westenra tomb. Come with me, Arthur. Don't let your courage fail you now. We open the coffin to see if what I suspect is true. Help me. It's empty. Lucy's body's not here. I shall tear whoever stole it limb from limb. No one stole it, my friend. But we must find her. Come with me. They are always returning to their resting places. Following Van Helsing out of the tomb, I took up my place behind a yew tree on one side of the tomb, Van Helsing on the other. I was chilled and frightened. Suddenly I saw something moving between two yew trees, a dim white figure which held something at its breast the figure stopped. I could not see the face, for it was bent down over what I saw to be a fair-haired child. There was a sharp little cry, such as a child gives in sleep, or a dog as it lies before the fire and dreams. Then the thing saw us. As she looked at us, I saw my Lucy, 
living again. She drew back with an angry snarl. Her lovely blood-strained mouth grew to an angry snarl. Open square. It, if ever a face meant death, I saw it at that moment. Then suddenly she turned and vanished. <laughs> the child is not harmed. We will leave him in a safe place where the police may find him. There's more to do. Come. I followed Van Helsing out of the graveyard and into the city proper. There was no sign of my dead, once dead, love. Gone. She has eluded us for the night. It is highly doubtful that she will return to her final resting place tonight. They know when they are hunted. They who, doctor? All will be explained later. I must ask you to trust me just a while longer. Arthur, my love, come to me. Lucy, I never thought I'd hear that voice again. Don't go to her. There is great danger now. The hunter has become the hunted. Come back to the church with me. There's nothing more we can do tonight, and there is safety in God's protection. Come. The next night we returned to the tomb. There in the coffin with the lid still off, the thing lay. Like a nightmare of Lucy, the pointed teeth, the freshly blood-stained mouth. Van Helsing never looked up. From his bag, he took out a book, his operating knives, a heavy hammer, and a round wooden stake, two or three inches thick, sharpened to a fine point, and hardened over a fire. So the life of this unhappy woman has just begun. Then she becomes what you call undead. There comes with the change, the curse of immortality. She cannot die, but she must go on age after age, adding new victims, because all that die from the praying of the undead become themselves undead and prey on others. So the circle goes on, ever widening, as of the ripples from a stone thrown into the water. But if this lady, this undead, be made to rest as true dead, then the soul of the poor lady whom we love should be again free. Tell me, what am I to do? How do I free Lucy from this torment? Take the stake in your left hand, the hammer in your right. Yes. Place the point over her heart. Yes. Then, then I begin the prayer for the dead. In God's name, strike. Lucy, how? You must strike now. So do not delay. I shall begin the prayer for the dead. Domini, what are you doing? I'm sorry, my dearest. I shall kill you for this. Rest in peace, dearest Lucy. September 25th, a sad homecoming in every way. 
the house empty of the dear soul who was so good to us. As Jonathan and I arrived in London on a steamer from Budapest, we received a telegram from Van Helsing, whoever he may be. You will be grieved to hear that Lucy died the day before yesterday. She was buried here today for the last time. Oh, what a wealth of sorrow in a few words. Poor Lucy, gone, gone never to return to us. And poor, poor Arthur, to have lost such a sweetness out of his life. God help us all to bear our troubles. That night, we walked down Piccadilly. Jonathan was holding me by the arm, the way he used to in the old days, before he went away. Suddenly, I felt Jonathan clutch my arm so tight that he hurt me. What is it, my love? What has bothered you so? My God! What is it, my love? What has bothered you so? Jonathan was Do you very see pale, who it is? And he gazed at a tall, thin man with a beaky nose and a black mustache and pointed beard. His face was not a good face. It was hard and cruel and sensual, and big white teeth that looked all the whiter because his lips were so red were pointed like an animal's. Jonathan kept staring at him, till I was afraid he would notice. I was afraid he might take it ill. It is the man himself. I don't know him. Who is it? It is the man himself. I don't know him. Who is it? Now, I believe it is the Count, but he has grown young. My God, if this be so. Oh, my God. My God, if only I'm... Why, Mina, have I been... Why, Mina, have I been asleep? Oh, do forgive me for being so rude. Come, and we'll have a cup of tea somewhere. He had evidently forgotten all about the dark stranger, as in his illness he had forgotten all that this episode had reminded him of. I don't like this lapsing into forgetfulness. It may make or continue some injury to the brain. I must not ask him, for fear it shall do more harm than good. But I must somehow learn of the facts of his journey abroad. The time is come, I fear, when I must open the journal and know what is written. Oh, Jonathan, you will, I know, forgive me if I do wrong. It is for your own dear sake. That night, I locked myself in my room and read Jonathan's journal. How he must have suffered, whether it be true or only imagination. I wonder if there's any truth in it at all. Did he get his brain fever and then write all those terrible things, or did he have cause for it? I suppose I shall never know, for I dare not open the subject to him. And yet, that man we saw yesterday. I didn't sleep at all this night, and was about to retire early in the afternoon, when I received a visit from a most unexpected source, Dr. Van Helsing, the very same man who wrote me of poor Lucy's death. I met with him alone, as his visit may upset my poor Jonathan, not yet recovered from yesterday's incident. He asked me many questions about the weeks leading up to my leaving Lucy, and I gave him my journal from that time. But just as I was about to go, a sudden desire to give him Jonathan's journal overcame me. When I gave it to him, he glanced at it and a strange look came over his face. 
He asked me if he could take it to study it in more detail. I assented, and he said he would write soon with his findings. Two days later, I received this I have letter. read your husband's so wonderful diary. You may sleep without doubt. Strange and terrible as it is, it is true. I will pledge my life on it. He is a noble fellow, and let me tell you from my experience of men, that one who would do as he did in going down that wall into that room, I in going a second time, is not one to be injured in permanence by a shock. His brain and his heart are all right, this I swear, before I have even seen him, so be at rest. I shall have much to ask him of other things. I am blessed that today I came to see you, for I have learned all at once so much that again I am dazzled. We must all meet with my dear friend Dr. Seward as soon as possible. Please come to the hospital next Thursday, October 1st at 8. We have much to discuss. Jonathan and I found the hospital easily. We were quickly ushered into an austerely decorated parlor by Dr. Seward. Dr. Van Helsing was already seated at the table. There was a look of strange excitement on the old man's face. We all sat around the table. My friends, there are such things as vampires. Had I known at first what I now know, one so precious a life would have been spared for the many of us who love her. The vampire which is amongst us is himself so strong that he can direct all the elements, the storm, the fog, the thunder. He can command all the meaner things, the moth and the bat, the owl, the fox, and the wolf. How then are we to begin our stride to destroy him? How shall we find his place? And having found it, how can we destroy? My friends, it is a terrible task that we undertake. To fail here is not mere life or death. If we fail, we become like him, foul things of the night. What do you say? Shall you join me in this task? I answer for Jonathan and myself. We will do anything to make sure this beast doesn't harm anyone again. I'm with you. Come near. The professor laid a small golden crucifix on the table. We took hands and a solemn pact was made. My friends, we too are not without strength. The vampire flourishes on the blood of the living. Without this, he cannot live. He throws no shadow. He makes no reflection in the mirror. He can transform himself to a wolf, to a bat. He can come on moonlight rays as the element of dust. He can see in the dark. He can do all these things, yet he is not free. His power ceases at the coming of the day. Then, until night, he must remain in the shape in which he finds himself, and except in his coffin home, in those earth boxes, he cannot rest. 
when we can confine him in his coffin, then, my friends, if we obey what we know, we will destroy him. At that moment, something flapped wildly against the window. Then... Did you hit it? I don't know. Do you think it was the Count? Most assuredly. He knows we are hunting him. Look out of the window. You can see nothing. Here is what we know. From the Count's castle in Transylvania to Whitby came 50 boxes of air. All of these, to our certain knowledge, were delivered at Carfax. Recently, 12 of these boxes have been removed by account of Dr. Seward here, who says his staff saw them leave. First step, ascertain whether all the rest remain in the deserted house next door or whether any more have been removed. We must break each of these boxes and sterilize the earth with holy water so that he can no longer seek safety in it. And we must hurry. October 2nd, 5 a.m. Just returned from the empty house, left Mina at hospital. We've done our work at Carfax. The place was filthy, the air stagnant and foul, and alive with rats. Luckily, Dr. Seward had a pack of beagles that he summoned post-haste to deal with the rats. 36, 37, 38. Twelve boxes missing, just as we thought. What must we do now, Doctor, to stop Dracula from using these boxes? We must purify the earth with holy water. Here, I have some flasks of it all the way from Rome. Blessed by the Pope himself. Would it be sacrilege for an Anglican to handle water blessed by the Pope? In the battle against devils such as Dracula, very few things are sacrilege. Sprinkle the dirt with the holy water and then repeat after me. Hmm? Gloria Patri et Filio et Spiritui Sancto, secuterat in principio et non et semper et in seuculum seculorum. Amen. Amen. As we broke open the boxes and purified the earth, we kept a watch out for any sign of our adversary. It proved to be a quiet night after the dogs took care of Dracula's rats, for there was no sign of the Count. It was dawn when we got back. I found Mina asleep. She looks paler than usual. October 2nd. Soon after they left, I fell asleep. I remember hearing the sudden barking of dogs, and then it was silent. I got up and looked out of the window. There was a thin streak of white mist moving across the grass along the wall of the house. It dawned on me that the air in the room was heavy and dank and cold. The gaslight came only like a tiny red spark in the fog. I could see through my eyelids. The mist grew thicker and thicker. Then as I looked, the spark divided and seemed to shine on me through the fog like two red eyes. Of my blood, 
blood of my blood, just like Lucy. <sighs> October 2nd, we are on the track. A private detective hired by Van Helsing found the 12 boxes were delivered to an empty house at 337 Piccadilly. We have the count now. At dawn the next morning, we boarded the train to travel into London proper. My dear friends, until the sun sets tonight, Dracula must retain whatever form he now has. We have this day to hunt out all his lairs and sterilize them. Then he will have no place he can move and hide. But we have only until sunset. The house in Piccadilly was empty, like the one up her fleet. The same sickening smell was in the air. On the table, we found a brush, a comb, and a basin, the latter containing dirty water, which was reddened as if with blood. It was a sickening sight, but there was no sign of Count Dracula. The boxes are back here. Eight, nine, 10, 11. Only 11. Yeah, there's a 12th box somewhere. Gentlemen, it is after six. The sun is setting. We have no time to lose. He will return at any moment. Open the boxes. I'll take the two over here. Parker, open those three on the far side of the room. I'll take the ones at the center. Quiet. Listen. Here it is. <laughs> Gentlemen. What a pleasant surprise. It is he. Foul demon, taste my steel. He's changed into smoke. It's moving toward the window. <laughs> you waste your bullets, gentlemen. You think you can battle me? You, with your pale faces all in a row, like sheep in a butcher's? You think? I have no more place to rest, but I have more, and time is on my side. The one you love is mine already. I have known her already. My mark is on her throat, flesh of my flesh, blood of my blood. She is with me, always, over land and sea. October 4th, morning. Another meeting in the study at the hospital. I must not have slept much last night, though I do not remember being awake. I struggle to keep my eyes open as the men talk about our next move. We must find the last remaining box, gentlemen. We must find it. As long as that earth exists and is corrupt, as long as there remains one place of refuge for Dracula, there is no safety and no peace for any soul in England. And for the undead, no peace as long as he lives. Blood of my blood. Blood of my blood. what did you say? Know that. That's what Dracula said. With, with me. With, with me, me always. 
over, over land, land and, and sea. Mina, dear, how did you know that Dracula said those words? I don't know. The words just came. Strange. There are times when I somehow feel that I am with him. At sunset? Yes, just at sunset. And again at sunrise. Dr. Van Helsing, if I could, if at that time you... Do you have the courage? The courage for what? What do you mean? Dr. Van Helsing here will question me, and with any luck it will help us find the Count. I will question her, yes. In a state of hypnosis. The one you love is already mine, he said. Come, she is with me always over land and sea. Oh, Count Dracula, perhaps. She will betray you if she really is with you, this one we love. Who knows if she really is with him over land or sea. Blood of my blood. Mina, she's connecting with him again. I will see what information I can collect. Mina, can you hear me? Yes. Answer me, Mina. Are you with him? Yes. Where are I you? I am with him. I do not know. It is all dark. What do you hear? The lapping of water. I can hear it on the outside. Then you are on a ship? Yes. What else do you hear? There is the creaking of an anchor chain. What are you doing? Still. Oh, so still. It is like death. It is like death. He must be traveling over water. Quickly, we must go down to all the shipping agencies and find what ship he left on. Jonathan and Dr. Seward spent the next day investigating all the departing ships from the London docks. I sat at the hospital with Dr. Van Helsing watching over me. It was almost as if I could feel Count Dracula in the back of my mind, always. It chilled me to think that he could feel me as well. When Dr. Seward and my husband returned, we met once more in the parlor. I came up empty. No ships leaving had any passengers matching the Count's description. I had a bit more luck. Here is a report from the Madsen Peabody shipbrokers dated October 5th. According to Lloyd's lists, the only sailing ship that left for the Black Sea yesterday was the Zarina Katrina bound for Varna. Somehow before she sailed, a man came alongside all in black, driving a cart with a great box in it. This he lifted down single-handed and carried below. No one remembers having seen him after that as a heavy mist came over Doolittle Dock until sailing time. The rest of London Harbour remained completely clear. Our plans are made. The average sailing time from London to the Black Sea is three weeks. <clears throat> we can travel over land to the same place in three days. We shall be there waiting for him when he arrives. We must leave at once. October 15th arrived Varna about five o'clock. 
The rail service is with us. We've been making good time. Mina seems stronger every morning before sunrise and just before sunset. She speaks to Van Helsing in a trance. Are you with him, Mina? Tell me, are you with him? Yes, I am with him. What can you see? Nothing. All is dark. What could you hear? I can hear the waves lapping against the ship, and the water rushing by, and the wind is high. I can hear it in the shrouds, and the bow throws back the foam. So, the Zarina Katrina is still at sea, sailing hastily to Varna. The Count cannot cross running water, so he cannot leave the ship without being observed. What do you hear, Mina? Lapping waves and running water. Darkness. Darkness and wind. A whole week of waiting. October 28th. Telegram from Lloyds of London to Jonathan Harker. Zarina Katrina is in heavy fog. Reported entering Galatz Harbor at one o'clock today. Galatz? Galatz is 38 hours from here, and the first train for Galatz leaves at 6.30 tomorrow morning. My friends, we must hurry to catch him, or all is lost. I am with you. I can see nothing, nothing. I hear men's voices calling in the roar and the creak of the wind. I can feel the air blowing on us. October 29th evening. We are due between two and three in the morning, but already at Bucharest, we are three hours late. We are losing all the time we gained at the beginning of our journey. going on. I can feel it pass me like a cold wind. I can hear far-off confused sounds. Men speaking in strange tongues. Fierce falling water. And the howling of wolves. There is another sound. How queer a sound. It's like... Like... Like what? Speak, Mina. Speak, Mina! I command you! I command you to speak! Arrived in Galatz, Harker and I quickly went in search of the captain of the Tsarina Katrina. Van Helsing stayed with Mina again. She has taken to having frequent fainting spells. Harker seems very worried for his wife. Ahoy there! Is this the Zarina Katrina? It is indeed. What business have you? We seek a passenger you carried from London, a certain Dracula. Come on! Come on aboard! We are over an hour before sunup. I shall check the manifest. We thank you for your time, Captain. Of course. Let's see. Uh, we receive a box for a party by the name of Dracula. Gave it to a group of men who were waiting for us at the docks here had all the right paperwork. One of them said they were going to a castle, I think. Do you know which castle, Captain? I have no idea, sir. I know. 
I swore I would never go back there, but if it means freeing Mina from this curse and avenging your sweet Lucy, we must. in the main dining room of our hotel in Galatz. There are two ways in which Dracula can get back to his own place, by land or by water. We've examined the map and find the most likely river is the Sareth. You and I, Seward, will charter a steam launch and follow him up the river. Van Helsing and Mina will take a train to Veresti, and from there... From there we shall go on into the track where Harker went to the streets over to Borgo. If you have not caught him before, we shall me be meeting Dracula there. October 31st. We arrived at Veresti at noon. We start in an hour. Our enemy is still on the river. Van Helsing and I have engaged a carriage and horses to take us to the Borgo Pass. October 31st. We can earn good speed up the river at night. There's plenty of water and the banks are wide apart. There is no sign of the Count. Damn Van Helsing for insisting we split up. I pray Mina is well. November 3rd, Dr. Van Helsing and I stopped a bare mile from the gate of Castle Dracula and set up camp. As he lit a fire, I could feel the presence of Dracula growing stronger and stranger. What is bothering you, my child? Something seems amiss. I can feel the Count so close now, but it also feels different. Maybe it is because we're in the shadow of his castle? No, my sister. It is I you feel. God in heaven, Mina, stay by the fire. I will not let this thing harm you. I am no thing, mortal man. My master has given both me and my sister bride the greatest blessing on this earth. Power beyond your simple imaginings. Come to me, sister. Together we shall rule beside our master. No, I still have my free will, and I reject you and your count. Very well. Then you both shall die here and now. Get off of me, foul demon! Your blood smells so sweet. It has been so long since I've had such an aged drink. No more of you. Well done, Miss Harker. You remembered my lessons that a vampire can be killed by a stake to the heart. Are you hurt, Doctor? Nothing a small rest won't fix. Come, based off your husband's journal, there should be no one left in the castle. Let us be sure of that. November the 4th, evening. We have left the launch. We've got horses and we follow on the track along the river. We are armed. Mina, my love, I come to you. 
Look quick, there they are now, heading west. Through the dawn, we could see the Slovaks some miles before us, dashing along the river with their wagon. On it is the great box. Late in the afternoon, we leave Dracula's castle to proceed to the Borgo Pass. As I thought, there was nothing else in the castle, living or undead. Van Helsing, look, look. We could see a long way all around. Far off beyond the white waste of snow lay the road, like a black ribbon curling. Between us and the river, not far off, came a group of men, mounted Slovaks, hurrying along. In the midst of them was a wagon that slept, swept from side to side. On the wagon was a great box. Look. We could see two horses following fast, coming up from the south. Seward and Harker, the Slovaks, with a heavy wagon, are losing their ground. Now the horses are not more than a mile behind. Now the wagon is quite close. We can see the great box swaying bravely. Now they are almost upon us. Now has a strange thing happened. The wagon smashed into a great rock buried in the snow lost its front wheels, and turned over on its side, jammed against the stone. The horses tore loose from the traces and bolted. Harker and Seward took a few shots at the Slovaks, who scattered and vanished. Then silence, silence that comes after the ringing of a bell. Mina and I quickly reached Harker and Seward. Look, his face. It is Dracula, sprawled out stiff and twisted in the smear of his own holy earth. The box, in falling, has emptied the dirt onto the snow. His face is old-looking. The skin is like pepper. Dr. Seward, there is no time. Look, it's the sun. Sunset. In one minute, it is sunset, and he is forever lost to us. Have you the stake of wood and the hammer? Yes. Now, Seward, pray for us. Kneel down and pray. Harker, the stake of wood over his heart. Be not afraid, Harker. Do not look into his eyes. The hammer. Now, Harker, strike, strike. Flesh, flesh of my flesh. Guilt of my guilt. Death of my death. Elements of darkness, evil wind, mist, mold, and tempests, claw, wing, tooth, tissue of flesh, death of my death, dead and undead. Strike, Harker, strike! The others couldn't, but somehow I could hear him speaking behind his eyes. The hand of the living is over your master. Console me, my children. This instant is no longer than the space between two heartbeats. But the night is not here, and I am lonely. Come to your master, my children. Beguile him with the sound of your voices and your names. Claw, wing, tooth, 
Tissue of flesh. Strike, Hawker, strike! Clawing tooth, tissue of flesh. There is one dear to me who has not answered. My love, Mina. There is less than a minute between me and the night. You must speak for me. You must speak with my heart. Give them to me. Jonathan, give them to me. The stick of wood and the hammer. Harker! I shall never forget that moment. The look on poor Mina's face as she stood there. The angry scar standing out on her throat. Her eyes like living coals in the last red of the sunset. She had torn the stake of the hammer from my hands with the strength of an animal. Mina, do you know what you have done, woman? Do you know what you have done to us? You have released him. The evil is free. Look, the sun. As we looked down at Dracula, we saw the sinking sun and the hate in them turned to triumph. Flesh of my flesh, come to me, my love. Come into the night and the darkness. You have served me well, my love, my bride, my... When Mina Harker sees the stake and hammer from her husband, I believe she was under some form of hypnosis. She herself remembers nothing, but whatever influence was at work on her, she must at the last moment have rejected it. For at the exact instant the sun disappeared, it was Mina Harker who drove the stake through the heart of that thing which calls itself Dracula. At the same instant, even as we looked, the wound on the side of her throat was no more. As for Dracula, before the screams of this creature had died from our ears, the whole body crumbled into dust and passed from our sight. In the final moments of the solution, there was on the face a look of peace, such as I could have never imagined might have rested there. Years ago, we all went through the flames, and yet the happiness of some of us since then, we think, was well worth the pain we endured. It is an added joy to Jonathan and me that our boy's birthday is the same day we battled Dracula. We both hold a firm belief that his strength represents the strength we all showed in defeating that monster. In the summer of this year, we made a journey to Transylvania, and we went over the old ground which was, and still is, so full of vivid and terrible memories. It was almost impossible to believe that the things which we had seen with our own eyes and heard with our own ears were living truths. Every trace of all that had been was blotted out. The castle stood as before, reared high above a waste of desolation. When we got home, we were talking of the old time, which we could all look back on without despair. I took the papers from the safe where they had been ever since our return so long ago. We were struck with the fact that in all this mass of material of which the record is composed, 
there is hardly one authentic document. Nothing but a mass of typewriting, except the later notebooks of Jonathan Seward and myself, and Van Helsing's memorandum. We could hardly ask anyone, even though we wished to, to accept these as proofs of so wild a story. Van Helsing summed it all up as he said, with our boy on his knee. We want no proofs. We ask none to believe us. This boy will someday know what a brave and gallant woman this mother is. Already he knows her sweetness and loving care. Later on he will understand how some men so loved her that they did dare much for her sake. In this production of Dracula, the part of Dracula was played by Peter Giffen, Mina Harker by Virginia Kilkelly, Jonathan Harker by Brian O'Connor, Lucy Westenra and Dracula's Bride by Ryan Blumberg, Captain the Demeter by George Herkert, Arthur Seward by Todd Loewenberg, Abraham Van Helsing by Highland Hoff, and the Foley artist was Riley Sage. The director, adapter, sound designer, and composer was Jonathan Pratt. <laughs>